turn to somebody and say hello and welcome to Grace Point. <laughs> if you're online watching by yourself, find a mirror and say hello, welcome to Grace Point. <laughs> no, I'm glad that you're in the room or online. Uh, last Sunday was a different Sunday. I gave a 30-day prayer challenge to those of you who call Grace Point your home, again, whether you're physically here or remotely here. And uh, it was a unique vision Sunday. And we said, hey, let's, let's gather as a church family. Not gather, but just individually uh, pray. Maybe I encourage you to put it on your phone, put it on your calendar to remind you. But we're praying that God would just help us this year, 2024, continue in our mission to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. And our vision to reach and disciple 2,000 people. So that's our, our mission and our vision. We want God's help to continue that. And also in 2024, praying that God would give us wisdom in all of our areas of ministry. God would uh, give protection and provision in this year. And as we've done the last couple years, that this year in 2024, that God would uh, bring 150 new giving units to uh, who this is their church and uh, God is blessing them by, by in some capacity uh, through in and through Grace Point Church says, hey, you know what, I'm gonna start being a contributor financially uh, to uh, my church. So uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, Grace Point Kitsap, make sure you put Kitsap in there. Um, and, and you'll see last week's Vision Sunday. Now you and I are surrounded at every turn with questions. Questions, questions, questions. Have you been around a three-year-old lately? The question is, why? Why? You know, I was like, okay, hurry up, we gotta get ready. Why? Well, we need to, we need to get in the car. Well, why do we need to get in the car? Well, we need to go to the store. Well, why do we need to go to the store? And you're just like, just get in the car. Why? Why? And then you got little kids, you know, as they get a little older, you go on a little family trip, and you're five minutes into the drive, and they ask the question, are we almost there yet? I don't know which, if you did this. Um, I, I, um, I completely exaggerated with my daughters. If it was a one-hour trip, are we almost there yet? I'm like, no, it's about another four hours. Just life is all about expectations. Then when we arrived shorter than they anticipated, it was a win. And then teenagers, you were there, some were there, I was there, looking into the mirror and go, God, why did you make me look like this? Why couldn't I look like him or her? I couldn't have that talent or this talent. Why, God? Then young, young adults was like, are there any good guys left? Are there any good girls left? Where'd they all go? If you're a new parent, can we have a moment of silence for the new parent? Because there's a question they're asking, am I ever going to sleep through the night again? Ever? Ever? A lot of us uh, have asked this question. You come home from the grocery store and you put three small bags of groceries on the counter and go, how did it cost this much money? I didn't get that many things. Then as you get older, the question is, why won't my kids call me or visit me more often? See, questions are all around us. But every question is not the same questions. There's different categories of questions, and the different categories have different purposes. First of all, there's uh, an interview. Very low emotion. You're there to gather information, you know, beyond their resume, 
or beyond whatever the surface, you, you just want more information so that you can make a decision. But in interrogation, you ask different questions. Or if you've been in interrogation, you receive different questions. A little more heat, a little more emotion. They wanna, they wanna, they're in the search for truth, for proof, for facts, for details. Then there are questions that are not questions at all. They're statements. I used to get up early on Sunday morning, pick my own clothes, and I'd walk out, and my wife would look, and she goes, are you really going to wear that? I'm like, is, is that a question? Because what she was in search of was, go change. Then my youngest daughter, when she was a teenager, she was our fast Anisha, and I would slip past candy without any interrogation, <clears throat> I mean questions. And, and, and she'd, she, she'd come out of her room, I'm down the hall, I'm going downstairs, and she'd stop. She didn't ask a question, she just did this. No. <laughs> Teenagers, gotta love them. Then there's introspective questions. Purpose is, what's the heart? What's the motive? What's the reason? Like, why? Why would you say that to me? Why would you do that to me? Very deep question. So today we're going to begin a series called Divine Questions because throughout Scripture, God has asked us questions. They're introspective questions. And we'll see these different questions. Now, you've got to understand something. God never asked a question that he already doesn't know the answer to. All right, here he knows the answer, but these divine questions reveal kind of who we are and also reveal a little bit more about who God is. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. This chapter has been referred to by a famous Bible teacher who has been in heaven for quite a while, J. Vernon McGee, if any of you remember him. He, would, he called chapter 3 of Genesis the pivot of the Bible. I have heard this before. I have it written above chapter 3 is that it's the tipping point of human history. The tipping point of human history. It's because in chapters 1 and 2, you have creation and perfection and beauty and innocence. And then chapter 3 happens, and from that point on, through the end of Revelation 22, there's sin, pain, tears, and heartache, and the need to be redeemed. Chapter 3 changes everything, and in chapter 3, we see the very first recorded question from God to human beings. Join me in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, that's Satan disguised as a serpent, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Then she added something God didn't say, and you must not touch it. Or you will die. God did say that. Verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. 
knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, here's the first question, where are you? He answered, I, I heard you in the garden, but I, but, and I was afraid be, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord, oh, we'll come back to that. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see, Satan the first thing Satan did not do, he did not tempt them to sin. That's, that's the first thing he did not do. He wanted them to question God's word. Did God really say, oh, no, that's not going to happen? God's not being truthful to you? He wanted them to question God's love and his goodness. You see, God's holding out on you. Because he knows if you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like him, knowing good from evil. See, when we question the word of God and the love and the goodness of God, we open ourselves to be tempted by any kind of sin that will lead to death. Death means separation, separation of some kind and eventually destruction. See, God, a Satan never tells the whole story. He never comes fully clean. He never gives us all the cards in his very short deck of hand because he didn't tell them what, what their actions would cost them. He said nothing about feeling shame. He said nothing about feeling guilt. He said nothing about what it would eventually do to their future family and the pain and heartache that they would one day feel for the rest of their lives, this thing called regret. See, Satan never tells the whole story. He tells us just enough to get us to bite on that hook, and then he pulls it. If you're taking notes this morning, in our fallen state, central point is this, in our fallen state, in a sinful state, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We're not even in his hemisphere. In our fallen state, we fail, fail miserably miserably at playing hide and seek with God. See, you ever know, know where Genesis chapter three, first game of hide and seek. And when, in our fallen state, we fail miserably at playing hide and seek with God. You ever seen little kids play hide and seek? It's the cutest thing. I mean, little, little kids. Okay, we're gonna play, we're gonna count to 10 and, 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 and you're gonna hide. And so they go in the corner and they close their eyes. There's nothing hiding them, but they think, if I can't see them, they surely can't see me. And then they get 
the truth, and they find out about this. Okay, count to ten. One, two, three, and they go hide behind something that doesn't really cover them at all. And they're easily found. You see, but as we get older, we get more sophisticated in our hiding. I didn't say smarter. We just get, in our minds, more sophisticated. When I grew up in San Jose, California, we lived on a cul-de-sac, awesome place to grow up as kids. We had about 10 to 12 uh, kids our own age, and, and the end of the court where we were was the hangout place. We played so many games in, in the court. Uh, we played in basketball in my backyard. We, if we would hop the fence of my backyard, there was a junior high school on the other side, and we had all the, game, all the fields and, and more courts and stuff. We played outside all the time. Growing up in California, I did not really know of a thing called rain, all right? And we were outside all the time. And then we, when, it, when it got dark, we played this game called ball tag. It was a combination of hide and seek and dodgeball. We would get like a, a, a volleyball with a slightly uh, deflated volleyball, and our game would start at 9.05, not 9.04, but 9.05. We would gather underneath our carport. We shut off all the lights that are in the backyard of our house, but we had just one light for the carport. And we gathered and we picked someone to start first. And we would take the volleyball, throw it, and, and, and all the way to the chain link fence. And as soon as we would throw it, we'd kill the lights. We're kind of in darkness, stumbling around. And we would all hide while the person ran and got the ball. And then they would come to find us. And if they saw you, they could just throw it as hard as they can. And then you were it. And then you would go. And everybody's, you know, you know running into trees and walls. And, and we had a blast. And I always, want, I always wanted to find the coolest place to hide. So for a while, I would... I would climb up into the trees that lined our fence. And I thought that was so smart. Little did I realize years later how stupid I was. And then one time I was, I scouted out during the day while nobody was around. And I saw, wait a second, along that back wall of the carport is the, the freezer. And above is the rafters. And so that night, as soon as the light went off and everybody scattered, I sprinted toward that freezer, jumped on it, reached up, pulled myself into the rafters and crawled into the middle uh, of the ceiling there. And everybody got caught until it was like, well, where's Barry? Where's Barry? Where's Barry? And I'm I'm a little looking down, kind of like God. And like... Biggest smile on my face, like, I am so smart. You guys will never find me. And they were just on and on, where's Barry, where's Barry? And so finally we're like, we're just going to stop playing the game if you don't come out. So I, I dropped down amongst them, <laughs> scared them all. And I'm like, I've been up there the whole time. See, I thought it was so sophisticated until years later I realized the trees that I was hiding in, there were live power lines going through those trees. And I was always right there. And up in the rafter, I was crawling with black widow spiders all the time. But I thought I was so sophisticated. See, we, we think as we get older, we can hide things from God. I mean, God's busy looking at everything else. He surely won't find me or know where, what I'm doing. And Scripture says, oh, no, oh, no. David writes in Psalm 139. He writes this. <laughs> He goes, God, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive or know my thoughts from afar. You discern 
my going out and my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. All my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. See, God knows everything about every single one of us at all times. At all times, he knows. So in our fallen state, as all of us are sinners, we've, we've absolutely just this whole hide and seek with God, we just fail miserably all the time. So let's, let's look at this question and what it reveals about us in the context. First of all, you and I are quick to hide in fear. I heard you in the garden and I was naked, so I hid. He was afraid. He was afraid. I had to hide. That fear was a new thing. They never feared before. Why is my heart racing? Why is the blood pounding and, and going through my body? Why am I starting to sweat? Why, why do I have this urge to go hide? I'm afraid. That was new. Brand new. See, we all struggle, every human being, since Adam and Eve, we, we all struggle with fear all the time. How many songs we sing today in worship about fear? Fear. God, you're greater than my fear because we live in fear all the time. Some of you live in fear way more than others, but fear is, puts us in bondage. We got fear of rejection. We got fear of failure. We got a fear of, oh, no, there's this opportunity. What if I don't get it? So I don't, I don't think I'll do it. And fear of this, fear of that, fear of everything. And it paralyzes us. We pull back. We don't take a chance because we might fail. We might not make the team or get the job. When we sin, we hide from God. We, we pull back from God. Like, I don't want to be around God or the things of God. If you don't have a relationship with God, there's this weird, awkward fear of God of like, I, I, I don't, this whole Christian thing, Bible thing, that's something weird. I don't want anything to do with it. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, when you, God knows your junk and you know your junk, some, some things that only you and God know and you haven't told the closest people in your lives because you don't want them to think bad of you and that just eats at you all the time. And when we are not right with God, we just like pull back. Like, I don't want anything to do with God, the things of God, I don't want to pray. Last thing I want to do is worship, come to church. It's because we're hiding, because of fear. Then the second thing that reveals about us is we find cheap substitutes to cover our sin, shame, and pain. They, they, they felt naked. They've never, they never felt that way before. Why? Because they were innocent. They had innocence, this beautiful thing. You know, it, it just, they didn't realize all of a sudden they, they sinned and now they're noticing things they didn't notice before. They're un, uncomfortable with things they were never uncomfortable before. They're insecure. They never felt insecure before. So they found fig leaves and sewed them together. Do you realize how cheap and pathetic those coverings were? But we do the same thing. Alcohol is the cheap substitute for covering our sin, shame, and pain. We want to just, just like not think about those things. Same things with drugs. Same things with 
another drug called becoming a workaholic. I'm just going to keep busy. I'm going to keep busy so I don't have to think. I don't want to feel. But I look good on the outside, but I'm dying on the inside. Jump into an unhealthy relationship. It's a cheap substitute for sin, shame, and pain, which only increases. Then jump from one sexual encounter to the next sexual encounter becomes a different kind of drug, but it's to numb us. So I don't have to think. I have to look at what I've done. And then the third thing this reveals about us is that we are quick to make excuses and blame others. Blame others. Adam, did you eat of the tree I told you you couldn't eat of? Uh, that woman that you put here, let me, uh, just a uh, very quick marital counseling moment for the men here. Don't ever use that phrase with God or your wife, all right? That woman. When I do premarital counseling, when we talk about chapter 2, that God brought her to him as a gift. Always view your wife as a gift, men. Spouse, your spouse as a gift. You blame, blame Eve, that woman that you, actually blaming God too. I wouldn't be in this condition if it wasn't for you and her. That's stupidity right there. <laughs> Eve, what is this that you have done? Well, that the serpent deceived me. And I, don't you see this, that we do this all the time? Whenever all of a sudden we get caught, the light shines on, on us, um, and we just quick, how do we, who are we going to blame? Well, it's not my fault. It was my parents. It was my upbringing. It was the environment that I grew up in. It wasn't me. I'm just a victim of my surroundings. It's, it's my friends. It's my, my teacher. I wouldn't have failed if it wasn't that dumb teacher. It was my boss. It was my pastor. It was blame, point, 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 blame all the time. Let's get the light off of me and get it on to some, someone else. See, when your kids do that, you can say, where did you get that from? And the answer is, you, mommy, <laughs> you, daddy, you, papa, you, nana. We, we do it. We, all of us have the capability to drop the victim card on the table when we've gotten caught. Get the light off of me. Now let's look at this question in context. What it reveals about God. I love this. First thing it reveals is that God is patient with us. I don't know what your view of God is. Some of you have grown up maybe or, or have come to believe that God is just this angry God, you know, just so, so mad all the time. It's not the God of the Bible. Now, does God have anger? Yes. Is the wrath of God coming on mankind? Oh, yes. And God is patient, 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 patient. But when his patience is done with wickedness and evil on planet Earth, oh, now God's anger and wrath will, will come out. But in this this picture, this, these words are not by accident. It says that God was walking in the garden, not stomping. That'd probably be my reaction. Not running, walking in the garden when? Not in the heat of the moment, but in the cool of the day. See, God saw what they did instantaneously. He could have popped in right there like, what are you doing? <laughs> Blame. He could have been right there. But he waited. He saw them gathering the fig leaves. 
and he let them attempt to cover themselves. He was patient. God is a very patient God. Come on, now let's think about it. Of all the things we've done that has violated God and his word and his principles, all of us are guilty. But God is patient with us. Second thing that we reveal about God in this passage is that God lovingly pursues us. Lovingly pursues us. When he saw what they did, he didn't just pop into the scene and like, you know, I'm going to abandon you. I'm going to completely reject you. I'm done with you. Now, were there consequences? Yes, because God is righteous. But he lovingly pursued them. Pursued them. Not in anger, but in love. Just his questions, the tone of his questions, where are you? He knew where they were. He knew what tree they were hiding behind. But we're naked. We're afraid, so we hid. Who who told you that you were naked? I love that question. Parenting, there's some really good parenting skills in there when you're asking kids. Just ask questions. Later this spring, I think in the summer, we have a whole series on the questions Jesus asked. They're brilliant. God in the garden was like, who told you you were naked? Did, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? There's no lightning. There's no thunder. There's no earthquakes. That's been most of our responses. I'm going to get their attention. But God walked toward them. See, that is the nature of God. And we see from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22 is God's loving pursuit of sinful mankind. Wow. Then the third thing we realize in this passage about God is that God always offers grace to us. He always offers grace. If you're new, what grace means is not what you say before a meal. I don't know where that started. Grace is you are given something that you don't deserve and you can never earn it. That's grace. We see in verse 21 how God demonstrated grace. He says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and, say this word, clothed them, covered them. You see, when God made garments of skin, this is the first time on planet Earth that an innocent animal had to lose its life and its blood for mankind. We see in the story, and really Bible, Bible is a picture book of God, and we see throughout the Bible that we were told that uh, they were, a nation of Israel were to offer an innocent, spotless lamb and then they would take it and they would sacrifice this lamb and uh, sprinkle the blood on the altar and different places for the covering, for the atonement. That's what atonement means, a theology word. Atonement means covering of sin. And for the, for the next year, the nation, all their sins were forgiven. So I believe, fitting the picture of God throughout Scripture, is God chose an innocent, spotless lamb. 
to have its blood shed so that God could take the skin and cover Adam and Eve. See, when Jesus, Son of God, left heaven, took on flesh, he came for the purpose to pay for our atonement, for our covering of our sin by his death on the cross. And when John the Baptist, you know, he's, he's full on in his ministry, thousands of people were there, and, and Jesus early in his ministry came, who did, what did he say? How did he refer to Jesus coming? Behold, the Lamb of God is coming to pay for the sins of the world. So that's why every month when we spend time as believers, if you're a believer, we spend time to celebrate and to remember communion, the Lord's Supper. It's the bread, the body that was broken on the cross, the blood that was shed on the cross. Because scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no covering of our sin. See, the picture of God just weaves all the way through scripture. But God, this is an act of grace. They didn't deserve God's covering. Their cheap substitute was not gonna last. But a price needed to be paid so that their sin could be atoned. Their nakedness could be covered. In our fallen state, our attempts to play hide and go seek with God, we fail miserably because God sees everything. Everything we've done, everything we're doing right now, he knows what we're thinking. He knows what thought or words are on our mouth before they're spoken. And he's asked these questions of you and I all the time. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you right now with God? I find these questions interesting. First, this, this question of where are you, I, f- I find it to be an unusual question. Unusual. God asked the question, he wasn't in need of information. He already knew. But this, just this whole question in God's pursuit and even asking the question lovingly, patiently, it flips on ahead that we, uh, of a myth that we have in our culture today is that it's us, mankind, who is pursuing God and God is hiding. No, it's the other way around. God is pursuing. We are hiding. But it's an unusual question because God knew the answer. But he asked that introspective question because he wanted their hearts to be revealed. And it was. It was revealed. Second of all, it's a kind question. It's a very kind question. It will, it's not loaded. It's not passive aggressive. It's just kind. Where are you? You should think about it. What was in Adam that would compel a holy, righteous God to pursue him? What was in Adam? Nothing. Nothing of value. But God pursued anyways. Why? Because that's the kind of God he is. He's kind. He's loving. He's grace-giving. This question is also, it's a personal question. Where are you? Where are you? He knew that they were afraid. 
He knew they were facing things they've never faced before. He knew they were hurting. They knew that they, they, were, they were feeling shame and guilt. Like, what have we done? Everything changed from that point on. So God asked a personal question, where are you? You see, it, it, as human beings, come on, we're all, we all can do this. If, if someone does not receive our, our kindness and rejects our kindness, we instinctively go, well, if you're not going to be kind to me, I won't be kind to you. If, if our love is rejected, it's like, okay, if you reject my love, then I reject you. I'm not going to love you. But God's not that kind of God. God is not that kind of God. He is a pursuing God, a gentle God, a patient God, a loving God, a grace-giving God who knows exactly where you and I are. He knows exactly what we uh, have all done. And this question continues to echo across time in a, an unusual but kind and personal question, where are you? There's three ways we could respond to this question today. Because God knows exactly where you are today. I mean, you could have in, in church here, you could have a little church face going on, but God knows what's behind, behind all that. He knows what you've, you've been stuffing. He knows what you've been hiding to protect yourself. He knows that you would be here today or watch on, online at this moment. So there's three ways to respond. If you do not have a relationship with God, I'm not talking a religion, I'm talking about a relationship with God. The best response is, God, save me. I need your atonement. I need you to cover my sin and, and take care of it like you did on the cross. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's, there's two responses. You can do one or both of them is, God, forgive me. For you know what I've been doing. You know where I'm at. But also the third one is, I surrender. I surrender to your will, God, to your word, to the way you want me to go. And I've, I've ignored it. I've walked the other direction. And you, you see where I'm going and want me to turn and go the other direction. Those are three responses. I'd like to give you a chance between you and God right now to respond. So I'm gonna encourage you to close, close your eyes and respond to God, not to some pastor up here, because I, I got my own response to God. If you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus and the atoning work on the cross, that he died for your sins, bled and covered your sins, and rose again, proving that he had the, the divine power to do that. And you're, you, need to, you need to say, God, save me. So if that is your heart today, as God's been drawing you to himself in some way, from your heart to God, pray this, God, I am a sinner. I know it and you know it. You know everything I've ever done against you. And by faith, I trust that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, to pay for my sin, and then rose from the dead, proving that he was indeed God. God, today, by faith, I receive your 
atoning work for my sins. If you just prayed that, no one looking around, you just prayed that, could you just flip your hand up high so I can say thanks to God, amen. Yes, yes sir, yes ma'am, yes. Anybody else? I just pray God saved me today, yes ma'am, amen. Yes, in the back. Oh, the best prayer you could ever pray because it lasts for eternity. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have sinned against God, you don't need to get saved again, but 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So if that is you right now, just say, God, I need you to forgive me. Pray something like this, God, you know what I've been doing. You know what I've done in the past that I've never asked you to forgive me. I sinned against you and you alone. God, forgive me. I confess this sin. And thank you for being faithful and just to cleanse me from those sins. If you just pray that prayer with no one looking, should I just ask God to forgive me? I've been holding on to something Today, I just said, God, forgive me. Can I see your hand? Yes. Many hands, yes. Oh, don't, don't carry that anymore. He forgave you when you asked him to. He won't bring it up again. He's that kind of a God. And lastly, some of you just need, I, I'm going in a direction that I know is not the right direction. I'm trying my own will. I need to surrender to God. If that's you, say, God, you know I'm stubborn, and I'm, I'm not going in the direction you have called me to go in. It's been my will, not your will be done. And I'm wrong, and I surrender. And I, I surrender to your will, I surrender to your word, I surrender to the way you want me to go. God, help me to surrender and not take it back. You just prayed that prayer. God knows the story. If you just prayed for surrender, could I see your hand nice and high? I just said, I, I surrender. Yes, many, many hands. Trust me, I've, I've learned I can never win against God. He's greater, he's bigger. God, thank you for being a patient God with us. Thank you for lovingly pursuing us, knowing what we've done and you love us and you come after us because you love us. And Lord, thank you so much for offering us grace time and time again. Thank you, God, for being who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name, we pray, amen.